This is Jardina London, and I'm here with Agile Uprising, hopefully shaking up their thinking today. Greetings, and welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising podcast. I'm your host again, Jay Hersko. And for this week's episode, we're going to be talking about Agile in nonprofits. And joining us to talk about Agile in nonprofits is the woman who actually created the organization, Ms. Diane Leonard. Diane, thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. So Diane, let's let's start off with a little bit of a bio background. You could you could talk about yourself better than I can. So let's um, so if our readers are not familiar with you or our listeners are not familiar with you, um, what would you tell them? I would tell them that I have spent my entire career in the nonprofit sector, and my first love is all things grants. I know, exactly. People make faces at me. They're like, what did (laughs) you just say? I love all things about grant funding, and I actually started my career as a grant maker. So I was working in an organization that was making grants to nonprofits, which is hard and stressful and a lot of pressure. And so I was like, ah, there's got to be a different way to do this. I'm going to go to the other side and I'm going to work on being a grant seeker, which also means, by the way, you facilitate and you manage projects. That's really what that means. In addition to doing a lot of writing. So take all those things fast forward into uh, running a consulting firm focused on grants and capacity building. And I discovered my second love and it turns out it was agile. All things agile as a way to make grants less stressful. That's our tagline. It's what our focus was. And so now if you think about a little bio for me. If you see me walking towards you at a special event, a cocktail party, whatever it might be, you might go, oh, here's the one that talks about grants and agile. Hmm, this will be fun. I love talking about all those things with a healthy dose also of self-care, uh, living in the Thousand Islands, being outside, enjoying time away from work. Those are the things that'll get me pretty excited if we meet somewhere. So we do have to come back to the Thousand Islands because I actually have family. I'm familiar with that area. I have family up in upstate New York. Um, but so I want to I want to talk about the inherent incongruentness, incongruence of the grant process, which I would assume is like your typical RFP. You fill out 9,000 forms and it's, it's fairly rigid and um, synchronous versus the idea of asynchronicity with uh, asynchronous and agility. So how do you, how did you munge those two things, which it's kind of, it's kind of like ketchup on mustard on a, on a hamburger where you don't think it makes sense. And then you try it. You're like, wow, Wendy's has this right. And everybody else has it wrong. So explain that to us, Diane. Uh, right. And that's at first it all started because I was like, Oh, I've got to, there's gotta be a different way to do this. Uh, in the sense that These are huge applications if we're thinking state or federal grants or really large foundation grants. And most of the time you have a very firm external deadline and the grant maker, they don't care what happens. There's a snowstorm, the printer broke, whatever it might be. And so you've got this external pressure, absolutely inflexible, but they're huge projects that have lots of moving parts. And so well-intentioned, super passionate executive directors or board members are saying to you, are we going to be done on time? Geez, I'm sorry I couldn't get you this fill-in-the-blank thing, Uh, but you're going to get it done. I mean, like you'll work, you'll work tonight or it's okay if we click submit. I mean, it says it's due at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. That's what grants.gov says. So yeah, I mean, it's okay if we submitted at 9.59 p.m., 
well, all my answers to that are like, no, it's not okay, right? There were heroic things being done. Burnout is a really rampant issue in the grant field. Um, and there's also this unknown, how do I answer those questions? Are we gonna be done on time? How are we tracking? Like, where are, what are our impediments? Those are things that are uncomfortable in the conversation. And so in the idea of trying to have grants stress people out less, and also trying to address how I, as the one facilitating the process, could be less of a bottleneck. If I was thinking about a review process or gathering something, I stumbled on, uh, actually my spouse and I stumbled on in trying to agree on a, a road trip audiobook, stumbled on Dr. Sutherland's book, Scrum, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time. Because as a grant pro with lots of work and not a lot of time, like, uh -huh. Oh my gosh, that's, and I'm an Enneagram three, I'm a type A. It was that title spoke my language. And that's what unlocks the idea that, okay, yes, we're wearing the project manager hat as a grant professional. Okay. What are some of the different ways that we could do this? It's not going to be about a software tool. That's probably not going to be the answer that software will never fix our problems. Right. 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 But, but, and also like, what about the mindset? So when I read the Agile Manifesto and stumbled on the fourth value, my world changed. Responding to change over following a plan. Yes, nonprofits have strategic plans. Yes, the grant deadline. It is a plan, but there's all this stuff that goes not as expected. And so anyway, long-winded way to say, when as all this started to unfold, I was like, this is about to change our world. And it did. <laughs> that was... Um, gosh, almost eight years ago now that all this started just because trying to figure out how to do things in a less stressful way. And I believed that it didn't have to be an answer that was only in software. Okay. So I, I'd like to unpack that a bit because typically, um, most agilists come from the IT background. So software and building new things is where we want to go. Like, hey, let's build a new widget. But you're saying it, it doesn't necessarily come from software. So can we talk about that a little bit more? Well, the, I mean, I get that that's where it originated, but I don't think it has to stay there. And, right, right. Um, and I don't think that there's a lot of translation that's needed either. I mean, there's differences, but teams are teams and building something whether it's a software or a car or building a 100 page grant application, you're building something that needs feedback from people that needs other input beyond the one person's idea. And so to me, it just, it clicked um, that it was a different way of thinking about continuous improvement. Okay. Okay. So, uh, and I'm still battling this in my head, right? Cause I, I can picture like when I picture the grant process, I picture it's like when you, the dent when you go to the doctor's office, right? And they have you fill out 8,000 pages of stuff that you've already filled out before, right? Okay, well, fill this out and come back to me. And it looks like a copy of, of a Dostoevsky novel. So how do you, and I don't want you to give away your secret sauce, right? But how does one go about wrapping their head around that giant process that has multiple phase gates? How do you apply some iterative thinking into that? Like, what are some of the what are some ways that as someone who's right now listening and they're holding those two opposing viewpoints in their head, how can they start munging the two? Yeah. So if we think about, you know, the big applications and they're huge and some of it is it's form based and it's like just putting in your EIN number and your website and who's your board. Fine. But then there's all the narrative and the different character counts and page lengths and the different requirements that are unique to each 
grant maker, whether it's foundations or federal or state governments. And so what really ends up happening is you can, so you can break the work down and say, well, we've got a, a budget and we've got uh, our standard forms. We have our standard attachments. All right, now we've got our narrative. And like in our team, we have four versions. So we define our definitions of done for what it means. The narrative itself is different each time, but version one would mean uh, it's laid out in the format required. It, we know the character counts. We've put in what we have and we've made some notes about what else we need. Uniform definition of done for the team. Now they know they can move on to the next thing once they have more input from the organization they're working with or their team. And then they can move on to the next one. And okay, that, well, that's where grammar editing will happen per our style guide. And we'll make sure it's all nice and polished. And we'll see, are there any existing questions that are still there that we've got to address? And we work our way through to version four definition of done is ready to go, click submit, put it in the mail. And so we can break the work down and see mm. moving pieces towards the end because otherwise you're looking at this monstrous thing and you keep coming back to, are we going to be done on time? Right. How am I going to eat this elephant? Yeah. Yeah. So, and so that gets really difficult for organizations, but breaking it into smaller components that will, that could be done in a week or in two weeks versus over three months or four months or six helps the team see progress. So if I follow you, the art is, the art is in getting someone to see it as, again, I'm eating the elephant. I'm not eating an elephant. I'm eating this limb and then I'm eating the other limb. So um, that ties to what, if I understood correctly, their whole idea of a definition done, knowing when I know, knowing when it's okay to move on to the next piece sounds like by far the most important part of this whole process is knowing when you can tick and tie and, and go worry about something else. Yeah, and part of that is that there's a lot of pride in ownership and work with what anyone would do, whether you're a writer or any other sort of creator. And so what happens is a lot of very well-intentioned grant writers, grant professionals, they polish too far without asking for input from the person implementing or from a stakeholder. And then they have to do a bunch of rework. They have to integrate too many edits, uh, not because it's not good feedback, but because there was a misunderstanding about the work that would be done. So it puts a pause in the process to say, you need customer, stakeholder, client, team, you need feedback because otherwise we might be all the way to what we think right. is version four, ready to go. And then someone says, oh, mm, great work, but, and all of a sudden we've got to undo it. So it also helps to put in uh, some of those mechanisms that could reduce waste for the team. Right. Identifying that wobble early before that wobble becomes a shutter, becomes a shake, becomes pieces start falling apart. So, so let me, let me take a little bit of a turn, Diane. Um, if, if agile is considered niche, you're in a niche of a niche. So how did you end up, how did you end up? Um, I mean, so we talked, you talked about Dr. Sutherland's book. You talked about, okay, well, this makes sense. How did you then pivot that to say, okay, well, this is, this is something that other people would be interested in. Like, how did that, that realization come about? And then how did you get that thing going? So one day I was out for a run along the <laughs> Thousand Islands. Well, that part's actually the true part of this story, right? I'm a runner in the Thousand Islands, like river therapy, putting on the sneakers and going out is like where I think. And so the more we did as a team and the more we liked it and the more our clients asked about it and talked about how their stress level related to grants was going down yet the number of grants they were submitting was going up and their success rate, which was already good, was going up, right? All these metrics are saying like, things are working. 
Well, we started to see that there was a need for other folks. They were program team members. They were senior leadership team members. They were finance team members. They were asking really good questions. And so what if we talked about this more? And so we were kicking it around and that's where the idea for Agile and nonprofits came from as part of our larger consulting firm. We launched it in 2018. And the idea is Agile and its values, it's Agile and its values. And okay, you wanna talk about the Scrum framework? Oh, you wanna talk about Kanban? Great, it is what it is, but our team knows nonprofits, like that is our life. And we know what it's like to have the board of directors or to have to use grant funding in order to do your really great work that's in the backlog. And so we can speak your speak while also helping you learn the language that internationally people know about Agile and Scrum. And so we have so much fun helping nonprofits who are trying to figure out how to create twice the impact with half the time. And I'm a registered Scrum trainer. So Dr. Sutherland and his team know that like, I have a little bit of fun with their line. Like nonprofit professionals do not need more work. Mm -mm, Nope, plenty of it. But the (laughs) idea that they could create twice the impact with half the time, that one resonates. Right, right. Right. And so I'm like, that's an important translation. But the framework is the framework. The values are the values. We don't need to change it. It's going to work. Do, do you think that maybe some of your success has to be from the fact that you, you come from the nonprofit world first? So you're actually bringing, you're bringing Agile to nonprofits as opposed to bringing nonprofits to Agile. Do you think that has something to do with it? Because as you talk, that, that to me resonates in the sense that you have that, that, um, that um, not, not what's the word I'm looking for here, that, that specialist knowledge. So you know the nonprofit piece backwards and forwards. So you understand that and then you're looking at this and you're understanding how to overlay it as opposed to truth be told, a lot of the people in our industry, we have the giant A Agile and we want to come around the corner and hit every department on the head with it and see where it resonates. Do you think that has something to do with it? Because you understand almost as like, for lack of a better IT term, a subject matter expert, you have that knowledge just baked in coming out the gate. I think part of it's about the knowledge, part of it's about the trust too, Mm, mm. right? Um, If you were to bring a nonprofit executive into a for-profit company, they might have, ah, you don't understand, you've not been here. Or if you bring a for-profit executive into a nonprofit, they might be an expert in their own, but then there's that you haven't been here. No, right? So those who are questioning the change management or the new idea automatically have a reason to question or throw some doubt at it. And so I think you're right that to say, we are right here with you in the trenches and get it and live it and have had to deal with all the funder calls and you're going to jump, right? That's the number one rule in any nonprofit, right or wrong, mostly wrong, but that's really what happens. (laughs) Yeah. And so having lived in that space, you're right. There's some inherent trust in how we approach those that come to us to say, I'm trying to learn. And we also know that budget's an issue. And so, okay, well, what if we teach you basics here? And what if we have free office hours? And what if we have a sliding scale? We just want people to feel less stressed and to love their work and to not have burnout. Is that so much to ask? Right. Yes, you're like cute music here. But like it's... (laughs) Take That's the crap really out of my work. Take the crap out of my work day, right? Take the stress out of it. And and that you really make me think about, you know, we have that old running joke. There's three types of transformations. You either inflict them, you invite them, or you inspire them. And a lot of times us agile consultants, and I'm looking at all of us in the mirror, we all do kind of say we inflict it more often than not because we're hired to brought in, blah, 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 blah. 
you take the invitation route because it's, hey, look, I've done this already. It's This is how it works for me. And when we talk about success, right, it's not anecdotal, it's arithmetic. You said earlier on that you have multiple organizations saying to you, I am getting more submissions done in less time. I'm getting more throughput through my system. It's another word that we all have to bounce around. So there's some proof there. Um, and I don't know what you can or can't disclose, Diane, but do you have any like good, really interesting, fascinating success stories? Um, somebody who got like a wild grant that they really weren't expecting, but they 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 followed your your insight and some of your um, inspiration and they were actually able to, their, their reach really didn't exceed their grasp? Yeah, so there's countless, countless stories. So before I tell you mine, I'm gonna tell you where you can hear from others because the other thing that I think, and this is, it's not a secret sauce because it's out there and it's public, while it's one thing for me to say something or someone else on my team, we find that other nonprofit professionals are more inspired and excited, whether they be in leadership or doing the day-to-day -day things, when they hear from other nonprofits working in the agile space, which is why we do all these little video clips and interviews on our YouTube channel and why we did like an online summit where people could, because if they can hear from somebody else for, for 10 minutes, I founded a nonprofit and I did this. Lynette Mira, wonderful product owner, did exactly that. And to listen to Lynette talk about it for 10 minutes is going to speak more to an executive director or someone just getting started with their nonprofit than even hearing from me, right? So I have a story. It's one of my favorites, but I still point to, you know what, gosh, oh, you're dealing with a capital campaign you should hear Alice Ferris talk about sprints and the Lowell Observatory. Go check that out online. Oh, you are a funder? Go listen to Jamie Cox, the CEO of United Way of Northern New York. Go listen to what it was like when he put Scrum in his small team and the change they saw, right? Like those stories are my favorite because they're not mm. coming from me. They're coming from, and some of, they've come to some classes or they've come to office hours. You know, I mean, we're a small team. We're not in their hands-on coaching all of them. We just, yeah, right. Big, right? So it's that they've taken the knowledge and they made their playbook and they're sharing their secrets, their playbook items. So that aside, one of my favorite stories was a team, and this is a grant story, so buckle up. It was a team that was super stressed about government grants. Like say the word grants and the face, ooh, it was a stressed one. They were getting grant money, but it wasn't I mean, they wanted the grant money, they needed the grant money, but it wasn't a great process for them. Mm. And so oh, we have to write another one was kind of the feeling. Well, they agreed that they would try using some prioritization so that they would have a way that they could decide, is this opportunity a priority for us? Should we do it or not? Because they had to learn to say no to some things. They were just letting everything kind of mm -hmm. overwhelm. And then they agreed that, okay, well, once we decided what was the prioritized thing that we would do, how could we break it down so that we could see progress and where people were going to be asked for input? The team felt over the multiple months that they were like constantly on and constantly having to pay attention to the Google Docs or all the things when the reality was different people were being asked for input at very specific times. And if that was known for them in advance, oh, I'm going to contribute something. I'm not sure exactly what, but I, my role is going to play out with V2 and that's going to be about here. And then I'm going to come in here again. They could see within, to your point earlier, they could see that it wasn't all about the big elephant. They just had one little part. 
that they were going to contribute, which was critical to the big whole, but didn't feel as overwhelming for their already very full plate and the other work that they had to manage on their day-to-day -day responsibilities. So just, you know, two quick summaries of some of the things that they focused on early on. The third was that they agreed to have a weekly 15-minute check-in. You're like, 15 minutes, Diane, um, that's a daily scrum, that's every day. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> what adds value, right? What added value for them was not a long planning meeting, but coming together once a week over the multi-month process to say not, hey, what have you been doing? What have you been doing? How are, what impediments are there? Mm. And have everyone who was involved from senior leadership to the person writing to have everyone there for those 15 minutes, truly or less. One time they did win, they got out in eight minutes. Like, good job, everybody. Right, right. But that to them, then that actually was one of the practices that they loved the most. That like, you're like, can we really add value in 15 minutes? Yep. They believed in the end that indeed they could, they kept that practice, they still do it. But so their success percentage went to 92% in the following year for government. Wow. Right? Wow. That's, that's we're impressive, talking, right? We're talking many zeros here in terms of the support for the work that they do. So now they made three changes. I would say those were the big ones to their process. And it wasn't all at one time. That's a lot to make all that change at one time. But um, And they've continued to tweak it. They continue to have a great deal of success. That, like I said, that's one of my personal favorites because I lived it with them. But the inspiration and the stories that are shared by others in our community are just amazing. And I think are what helps spark, oh my gosh, funny story. Community Foundation was trying to figure out like the translation. What does this look like for our organization? And they gave me a virtual tour of their office. And uh, they said, well, okay, and here in our common area, here's our wig board. Like your wig board. What do you think we turned around to see? Their wildly important goal board where they were already meeting every Monday to talk about the big things they were striving for and like seeing how everybody was doing and checking in. I'm like, that's amazing. Okay, so let's like anchor everybody around the amazing things you already do and now decide what you add next that's going to be a value that will help you embrace these values and think about how you move forward. Right. But they weren't starting at ground zero. They already had an amazing practice. That they were doing it without in. even realizing they, they were doing didn't. it. Yep. And so the reason I end on that particular story of my many that I've had to share is that what I also find is that nonprofits are agile and doing a lot of things that fit into different frameworks but don't have labels for it. They're ideas they've come to through some combination of experiences, trial and error. There is an awful lot of agile happening in nonprofits. And quite frankly, the one thing, if I were to find a good silver lining out of a pandemic, it gave a perfect example. Every nonprofit can now find at least one, if not hundreds of examples for how they responded to change over following a plan. Guaranteed. Mm. Every single one now has at least one example. Right, right. Um, so much of so much of what we bill as, uh, you know, Peter Merrill says as we bill it as agile, but it's it's really just good productivity practices, right? The idea of having all of your goals on a board and everybody's looking at them. The idea of of frequently collaborating to talk about how things are going, what's in the way, you know, how can I help you get things out of the way? Which you provided an interesting segue because I wanted to ask you, Diane, about what are some of the the pivots 
that stick out in your mind? What are some of the things where you're a CST by trade, right? So you know how Scrum works and you know how the grant process works. What are some of the things that some of the, the times where you were kind of, kind of not, not taken aback, but you look back and you go, wow, that's kind of interesting that it developed that way where you've pivoted away from something that more of the agile, you know, um, flag bearer would be outraged by to get something better in the end. What are some, do you have any of those examples where you kind of just like threw it out the window and it worked even better? Well, it's a, it's not a one specific thing. It was more of a big idea change. Okay. So we'll go, we'll see how this one fits for okay. So as I came into it, you have to remember that I'm an Enneagram three, which means I'm an achiever. I'm a type A. I'm an upholder. If you read Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies, like give me some rules. I will follow those rules. So all right, I understand my agile values. All right, I've got the scrum framework here. I've got my three roles and accountabilities. I've got my five events, my three artifacts. Okay, good, good, good. Everybody do all those. <laughs> got rules. I like having a rule book, right? Give me a game board with a set of instructions. Great. Well, no, because does it all add value, right? The idea that for an organization to really get started and not have there be a whole bunch of like pushback because you're already doing good things. You're trying to do good things. Like pick one thing to start with and work your way towards whatever to your full implementation. You're going to develop your playbook along the way. It took some trial and error on my part to realize, Oh, you want to start with retrospectives. Perfect. That's my favorite event. Good. Love it. Heart center. (laughs) Oh, you want to start by doing daily scrums, but you think it's every other day that adds value the first time you try it. All right. That's a nice hypothesis. Let's try it. Right. Like it's prescriptive, but you can build your way to a framework or, uh, and so I think that to me was the biggest, like, oops, I'm just going to have to throw that whole, like, you have to do the whole monopoly rule book right now in order to play monopoly. That's not true. We're going to, we're just going to learn and get started. We're going to have like an open hand. Everybody can see, we're going to discuss our strategies, talk about what adds value. That to me was something that uh, took some time to feel comfortable with, but to see that by doing that and saying like, when we talk about scrum basics, got all these nonprofit professionals around like, okay, so first thing we have to understand, there is no pressure. You have to hit the green button and do all of this tomorrow or next Monday. And like the look on their face is like, oh my God, she said it. <laughs> okay, good. And cause it takes the stress off. They're here to listen and uh, find inspiration in the part where their organization feels comfortable in the moment and build from there. And it's different for every team and every organization in my experience. So that to me, like I said, it might not be exactly what you expected but that took a big like. No, that's, that's a big yeah. shift. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, uh, let me, now let me this, let me ask you this along those lines, you know, like you said, some people, some organizations, right. in the nonprofit space is huge and covers a lot of ground. A lot of organizations are doing these things. without even realizing there's a name for them. in your experience. What's been one of the things that you find more often than not people sit back and go, wow, this is really cool. Like something they weren't doing before that after you working with them, you've introduced it and they look back and say, I don't know why we didn't do that sooner. Well, it is my favorite event in the Scrum framework, but it is the one that also makes people, it's funny, now granted this is pre-pandemic, we were in big conference rooms and would do big things together all the time, but the retrospective is the one that 
people are surprised by. Nonprofits are really good at postmortems. Not quite a sprint review, but you know, no, they like it's, it's continuous like, improvement, but like that's firmly established. But that's about the work. So yeah. let's travel back in time. I was at a Grant Professionals Association conference and I'm in the big room and I'm up in front of the podium and I'm like getting folks warmed up and we're talking about stuff. I'm like, okay, so who wants to be happy at work? And like four <laughs> hands go up and it's a room of like 300 people. I'm like, what? put your hand, are you? This wasn't a mm -hmm. trick question. They thought I was joking. So let me have to unpack that. Okay, when was the last time you were asked if you were happy at work or you were asked about how uh, things are going like with your team, either in your team or your department, like let's just, where is it happening? Well, HR asks us questions like that once a year or twice a year or every quarter. But they, there were no informal examples in most situations. So it wasn't even about the HR survey or the 360 survey, what's happening. People just weren't coming up with examples where the teams were talking about how they were working. How were they feeling? What could they improve? It was so much about the work and what are the results of your work, right? What are the outcomes you're creating? How are your communities and your clients and your stakeholders benefiting? That people are forgetting to talk about how the nonprofit professionals are doing. And so the idea that we can have a little bit of fun as a team trying to think about what's gone well, what hasn't gone well, what could we improve? And that even if it's just about, you know what, I think we should change our coffee vendor or, you know, like, could we fill in the blank, right? All the ideas for improvement that we're gonna think about ourselves for a moment that really resonates. And I'm not the first one to have like on the soapbox. Uh, Beth Cantor and Eliza Sherman wrote The Happy Healthy Nonprofit a good handful of years ago now. Maybe it was 2017, 2018 that's been around talking about nonprofit professionals and like that they need to care for themselves. But the retrospective gives space for it to be okay for nonprofit professionals to think about their happiness as a team, how they can be better together yes, it will ultimately improve what they're creating, what they're delivering to their community members, but it, it gives space and you can have fun with it. So like, oh, what? We could do a Taco Tuesday retrospective thanks to Chris Stone and his Miro templates. Oh my gosh. Our team made an ice cream retrospective that we share with folks for free because, well, I mean, ice cream's our love language. So why not? It, it, it brings personality to it. You can have a little fun and uh, yeah. There you go. But I mean, you know, you started off with the term post-mortem where mortem is death, right? So post-mortem is after death. So when you do a post-mortem, you're implying that the result was not really good. You could have released, you could have released the iPhone, right? iPhone version one. If you're calling it a post-mortem, that typically means that the patient died, right? So I, 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 now you got me thinking, I wonder if we could run an experiment where we have people keep doing what they're doing, but just call it a retro instead of a post-mortem and see if psychologically, you know, maybe there's a placebo there. I don't know. Um, oh, this is, this is wild stuff. So let me ask you this, Diane. Um, if, if someone's listening from our, from our, in our listenership, because we have a lot of people who come from a lot of very interesting niches. Um, if someone's in the nonprofit space and they're listening to you speak, Obviously, we're going to talk about how do they engage with you. But if you had to give one bon mot of advice, one piece of advice, what would you give to someone who's in that nonprofit space and maybe they're kind of struggling with getting their submissions out? Maybe this is the right thing for them. They just don't know it yet. If you had to plant one seed or even ask them one question, 
that would get them to look internally and start to evaluate that? What would you say? Yeah. Thank you for opening it up so that I could be that I ask them a question because that'll translate them into the one piece of advice. I would ask them, what do you want to be different about the way you work? Everybody's going to have a different answer. And from there, the advice I would give is test one hypothesis you have about how you might achieve that. It goes to the idea that not everybody's going to start in the same place. They're going to start in something that adds value. Maybe it's that they've decided they need to try a team working agreement so that they stop slacking each other outside of work hours, please. <laughs> and thank you. Or maybe it's that, you know, I think checking in every day as a team would be amazing. Wow. Maybe we should try that daily scrum thing or fill in the blank. I don't know. I can't even come up with all the th ways they might mm -hmm. want to change the way they work, but then have one hypothesis. Don't you, don't even, you don't have to read a book. You don't have to come to a class. Like just on your own, what's one idea that you think could work and try it? Because what you're going to do is show your colleagues, your team members, if you can talk, I tried this and look, it worked. All of a sudden you're planting that idea of continuous improvement and like we're gonna make one little change at a time towards making ourselves better overall as a team. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so with that being said, Diane, I'm going to wrap us up. So if people want to get in touch with you, they want to get in touch with your organization, they have questions, maybe they want to retain your services. Where do they go? Well, they can go to agileinnonprofits.com. Very literal. You want to learn about agile and you're in a nonprofit, <laughs> go to agileinnonprofits.com. You'll find all our free downloads. Uh, the links to the interviews I mentioned on YouTube are, uh, Agile Nonprofit Summit recordings, like it's all there. And we are happy to communicate uh, in social media or on email or wherever it is that you are, uh, just to talk about it. And you'll find that there's other nonprofit professionals who have also gotten super passionate and will answer you back in the Facebook group or in the office hours. They say more than I do sometimes when they come to office <laughs> hours. That's a good thing, right? Um, so yeah, we're a, it's a fun community and it's a growing community. Uh, in the sense that people didn't know they were they were there, that they're a part of it, and that there's others who are just as passionate about making their workplace better and stronger. Fantastic, fantastic. So on behalf of all the listeners and myself, Diane, I really want to thank you for taking the time today to chat with me. Uh, on behalf of Diane and myself, I want to thank all of you listeners for tuning in once again. As always, we have a very, very vibrant discussion on our Discord group. You are uh, more than welcome to uh, hop into the dialogue and see what you have to say. Um, we also, just as a reminder, I want to give a shout out to our uh, musical artist Krebs and Machine Records who provides us our outro music free of charge. Although YouTube keeps trying to whack us with a content provisional notice, we'll fix that later. And then lastly, just to remind everybody, we are totally committed to be winning 100% free. However, if you are interested and want to chip in a couple of bucks here and there, we do have a Patreon account. You will get a package, surprise package from me in the mail. So once again, Diane, thank you very, very much for your time. And until next time, this is the Agile Uprising Podcast signing out.